all these laws that I said before you today. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the peoples to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the on the earth, and that they may and that they may teach their children so. The word of the Lord. The Psalms, Psalm 78, 1 through 9. Hear my teaching, O my people, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Which we have heard and known, and such as our forefathers have told us. He made a covenant with Jacob and gave Israel a law, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. With the intent that when they came up, they might show it to their children. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it will be that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline in this dis, discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Nessie. The gospel lesson today comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring of what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. 
and immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke aloud, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. We're privileged today to have Dr. Don Larson, head of school of Grace Christian School, come and open God's Word to us as we continue our series in Ephesians. Don? If you open your Bibles back up to where we just read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is continuing from last week with uh, when Pastor Jay was talking about you know, husbands and wives. Uh, this week, continuing into parents and children and next week into masters, slaves, bond servants, where Paul is addressing the whole uh, household, essentially, is what, what he's doing. And as we look at that, I want to start off by, by thinking through uh, each of us, what is our end goal for our children? What do we want for our children? What's most important to you? Now, when I ask this, I'm, a lot of times intellectually we can say, oh, this is what we want. But then coming back, what do our actions show in terms of what we really want for our children? Is it safety? I mean, that's one of the things that we see now is security, safety for our children, making them safe. Um, is that what we want for our children most of all? Is it for them to be comfortable as they grow older and to be secure in that comfort? Wealth. A lot of times we tell our kids, well, want you to work hard in school so you can get good grades, so that you can go to a good college, so you can get a good job and make lots of money. Is that what we want for our children? Actually, probably one I hear all the time is, I just want my children to be happy. Is that, is that our end goal? Is that what we want for our children? Or is it eternal life? We want our children to know God for all eternity. And when we look at that, we really have to ask ourselves the question, who do, who do our children belong to? I mean, we, we so often think, and, and I'm guilty of this too, is, is these are my children, but, the, but they're not my children in one sense. They're God's children. God gives them to me for a season. And for those of you who have grown children, you know that they do grow and move on and set up their own households. And, and so, you know, they're not mine forever. And even now, when they're younger, they're not really mine either. And they're not yours either. They belong to God. And we are stewards of them, raising them up for God. 
Now, last time Jay kind of gave what the Roman life was like because, you know, we want to put this into context for what was uh, Paul was writing to in terms of, of Roman times. And, and ch- child rearing, if, it, if we summed it up in one word back then, would probably just be harsh. It was very harsh. In fact, one third of children didn't survive their first year. 50% would die before they got to puberty. So families raising children expected to lose half their children before they were grown. And that was just a common expectation for them. In fact, when a child was born, they would bring the child and they would put it before the father. And the father would look at the child. And if, he, if it was a boy and he wanted to keep the child, he would reach down and pick the boy up. If it was a girl and he wanted to keep the child, he would tell either a servant, a slave, or his wife to pick the girl up. And so then they know that he wanted to keep him. If he turned around and walked away, that meant he didn't want the child, and essentially the child would die. They would either they would suffocate some of them, they would just starve them, or they would just expose them. They would just put them out in the weather, outside, and let them just die. So it was, again, harsh is a pretty good word, I think, to describe that. Now, a lot of times, if, if the father looked at the child and saw that the child was deformed or had a disability or looked weak, then he would usually just walk away because he didn't want a weak child. He wanted a strong and healthy child. Now, all of this that we just talked about was against Jewish teaching because you didn't kill children. You know, you think about the child sacrifices being an abomination to God. So it was against the Jewish. And the Christians picked this up. And actually, the Christians would go around and find these children and would adopt them and take them into their own families. So this was something where, from the very beginning, you know, the taking in those children who were, about, uh, who were abandoned. Now, just because you made it past that stage didn't mean it got any better for you. Because as a child, you would take cold baths. You weren't allowed to take hot baths. I remember Roman times, they did have the nice warm baths, and they had ways to do things to keep the water warm. Uh, not for children, because we don't want soft children. We want hard children. It was almost like a Spartan raising of children. Take that cold bath. It'll make you hardier. Uh, babies, they actually wrapped and bound really tight, and they would tie their limbs to sticks, and then they would release the right hand because they wanted kids to be right-handed. Because left-handed was bad luck and not good. So... Uh, That was one of the things they did to make sure that they had that right hand. Boys were never allowed to sit down when they ate. They had to stand all the time. They wanted them to be tough. And they weren't allowed to sleep a lot because they thought too much sleep would make you dull and not grow as much. So your limited sleep, cold baths, stood all the time. So, you know, all you boys think about all that. That was, you know, it it was a pretty, I guess, Harsh uh, uprising, upraising. Now, girls were never really received a formal education. They would be taught household and how to be uh, take care of the household, and then were usually married by in the ages four, fourteen to seventeen. Were married off. 
Now, boys had a pedagogue, uh, a teacher, who would walk with them from ages 6 to 16. And at age 12 is when they would actually finish their formal education. So they'd be formally educated up through age 12. And then, uh, but the pedagogue stayed with them to teach them about life all the way up to age 16. And, and the pedagogue would escort them to formal schooling when they went there. They would educate them morally, make sure they were protected, teach them good manners. And they were actually the, who disciplined the child. So the parents, in a sense, this was really, the pedagogue was a father figure to the, the young man as he was growing up. And if you made it to age you know, 16, you're ready to enter manhood. So again, very harsh. Now, as we look at our times and raising children in the modern world, it's pretty much the opposite in terms of raising up our children. Now, the one thing that that probably parallels is a lot of times parents are more about what's good and convenient for themselves than they are for what the child is. So a lot of times, and, and you know, we're all guilty of this, we make decisions on what's best for us versus what's best for raising our children up uh, to, to know the Lord. But beyond that is where we, we begin to differentiate. Now, I'd say a lot of our children do have a pedagogue, but it would be called uh, electronics because we have electronic babysitters. Most children through young adults spend between 40 and 80 hours in front of a screen. And you think about that and, and the influence that that has. Not only that, from an educational perspective, it changes the wiring of the brain and the way we learn. So it, it, it shifts and makes learning different uh, for our younger generation. And in many households, the children rule the house. They pretty much determine what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And uh, it, it just reminds me of sometimes when you walk down the aisle and toy aisle in you know, Walmart or a store like that, and there's a child who's not getting what they want, and they have a fit, and the parent finally just gives them the toy. So who's ruling the household at that point? Another thing is, is a lot of parents now don't think child, their children sin. They think their children start off good and perfect. And, and I've seen it so many times where I, I've had parents who've, who've looked at me and said, oh, my child does not lie. I'm like, can you say that again to me? My child does not lie. We had one parent who said that to us. And we had video of their child giving a gesture to another child who we were disciplining and went home and told his parents that he did not do that. We had it on video. We had to show that parent three times <laughs> that video before the parent finally said, well, maybe they did do it. <laughs> and two weeks later, they were back in, in, in trouble again and the parent again then said, oh, my child never lies. So I, our children do sin. We sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then safety and security. Now, I've had conversations, you know, especially lately where 
people wanted me to say, safety is our goal. Now, my wife can tell you it drives me nuts. We're driving down the street. There's a vehicle in front of us that says, safety is my goal. And it's like, what are you doing on the street? Go park and never come out. If safety is really our goal, we're never going to get out of bed because it's I might stub my toe, I might trip and fall, I might do something. So safety is never really our goal. Now, I want to, especially school buses that have that, I want to deliver my children to school safely. Okay, I can go with that. But, you know, so many times we do get wrapped up in safety and security and wanting children to be happy. The number of times I've heard that from parents. What do you want for your child? I want my child to be happy. And biblically, if you, if you can find that, please help me find that in the Bible where it says, I want my child to be happy is, is biblically aligned. Now, we also don't like our children to fail in modern society. We used to have what we called helicopter parents. You know, and, and honestly, most of the time, it's more the mom than the dad. And... You know, you got the whoop, 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 following along, and then the child, you know, they see something might go wrong, and they swoop in and try to straighten things out. That was replaced by the lawnmower parent, who just runs in front with the lawnmower, trying to mow down the big obstacles. And now we're to bulldozer parents, who just get in the bulldozer, clear everything out of the path so the child can walk along. Uh, and and failure is a part of life. But this is our society and the way we're raising our children, which, again, if we look back Roman times, it's not harsh. It's probably the opposite. But we look at both these extremes, and, and neither of these styles represent Christian homes or what Christian home should be like. So as we look at verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for it is a right. For it is right. This is a command, okay? And some people wonder why it says obey here and not honor. Now, verse 2 does pick up the honor, but really obey is a part of honoring, okay? And, And obedience means doing something that you're told to do when you don't want to do it. If you're always doing something and you always agree with it and then you told to do something you don't and you don't do it then that's not obedience obedience is doing something that your parents have told you that you don't want to do and delayed obedience is no obedience okay so delaying what you're told to do is still disobedience and and a lot of times we obey with and we don't always understand. And, and, you know, when I was younger, my parents had rules in the household, and it was like, that's a stupid rule. Why are we doing that rule? And then, of course, you grow up and you become a parent, and you go, oh, I know why my parent gave that rule to me. Uh, children, you have that same rule. And, of course, my children probably looked at me and said, that's a stupid rule. Why are we doing that? But that bigger picture of knowing and training our children is what is important uh, through that. Now it says, in the Lord. So when you obey your parents, you're obeying God. You're obeying God through your parents. And it is right because God commanded it. Okay? Moves on to honor your father, verse 2. Honor your father and your mother. 
This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, this is the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments uh, given to us, and it's the first commandment with a promise. Now, for some people, there's been lots of things written and struggles between commentators and experts who, who dive into all of this because they go, well, what about the second commandment? Doesn't the second commandment give us a promise? And uh, the way, you know, it depends, you know, and each one has a different view on, on how to come down with that. One is, if you look at the second commandment, it is a general, and if you look at the transition word there, it's not really, you could say it's not really the promise going back to that, but a general statement. Um, and it is more of a statement in the second commandment than it is a promise to go back with it. Um, some people will say, well, it was actually the second tablet or the backside of the tablet. You break the commandments down one through four, five through ten. It's the first one of the five through ten. Others would say that uh, it's the first commandment that children were taught was obey your parents. And therefore, it's the first commandment you've learned. So that's, you know, what it is. So, you know, any one of those you can look if you're if you're if you're struggling with that, you can go. I can give you some sources to go read and, and figure out more about that. Uh, verse 3 picks up that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. And, and the promise is interesting here because, you know, we think back the original promise was in the Old Testament was more for the promised land. And this is more for it will go well with you and you'll live long in the earth, in the world in which we live in. Uh, the, these are these rewards that we receive for obeying our parents are both temporal and spiritual. And uh, I think back to when I was a child and thinking about what went well for me and what didn't go well for me. And uh, Isaac, I think when I was just a little bit older than you, I was a climber. I loved climbing. I would climb anything and everything. And we lived in Scotland, and the beautiful old houses there were built long before plumbing, so the plumbing goes up the outside of the buildings. And I would climb up the plumbing, and my favorite was I'd climb up, I'd jump from one windowsill to the next windowsill, and this is about 30 feet up in the air, so, you know, I take my children back and they see the house and I go, see, I did that. That was stupid, right? You, you don't do that, right? <laughs> but I jumped from one windowsill to another windowsill and onto the garage, which I was not supposed to get onto. Um, now, these two windows were for the bathroom. And so one time I'm going up, I jump from one window, I jump to the next window. Unbeknownst to me, my father is sitting on the toilet, reading his paper, and this huge shadow goes across him. And then I hear the dreaded words that every child fears, all three names. Donald, Madison, Larson. It's like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Things did not go well for me. That's all I will say for that. And I have to, you know, even if I look back as I got older, that when I obeyed my parents, things did go better. And there was things that I did, I'm sure, as all of us did, that our parents never knew that I did. And even when they didn't know and I disobeyed them, things didn't go as well. So, children, obey your parents. There's a reason. Things will go much better for you if you do that. 
So that's, you know, dealing with the children. At this point, Paul shifts and changes over to uh, uh, parents in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, he says fathers here. Remember, this whole section, we're dealing with a household in, in, in Roman times. And a household was the father, the, the wife, the children, the slaves, the servants. Everybody would be in that household. And so in addressing fathers here, he's not leaving mothers out. He's basically saying fathers, because father, you're head of the household. And, and moms, you're a part of this too. So parents... Uh, it are being addressed here. Do not provoke your children to anger. And probably the, the easiest way that we provoke our children to anger is through being capricious or arbitrary, changing rules. Uh, that makes children uh, struggle. Last week, uh, Pastor Jay and I were talking about uh, you know strictness and rules, and, and, and I liked his example. He said that you know, you have a river with banks, and that's your rules. Now, he did say uh, his mom's rules were much stricter than Gus's rules were, but the key was to be consistent, and, and, and we were both in a line with that. Um, when, when my children were younger, we would be with our family, extended family, and our uh, all my relatives, especially our, our parents, would go, oh, your children are so well-behaved compared to, your to their cousins. And then, 10 minutes later, they would go, you guys are way too strict on your children. I'm like, don't you get the relationship here? Um, and, and they still don't. So, um, But that come back to that bank, and those banks are what we need. Um, now, as they, when they start off younger, the banks are probably closer in terms of rules and being stricter. And it was one time when Priscilla was two years old and had a battle with her, and she, uh, she wanted something. We were at the table, and you know, it was like, well, say please, and she wouldn't do it. And she wanted it. I said, say please. No, she wouldn't. And this battle went on for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And my oldest daughter was like, just give it to her. <laughs> give in. And I was like, no, I want to fight this battle now when they're young, when she's young, so I don't have to fight a worse battle when she's older. And, uh, and now my older daughter's like, oh, yeah, I understand. So again, you know, fighting those battles, keeping the banks, being consistent with love. Now, if, if there was one thing to me that's uh, in terms of raising children, be consistent with love, no matter where your banks are. Our banks were a little tighter too, so we're with you. Um, but uh, now as they get older, those banks have to get wider. You have to give your children more chance to do things, to grow, to take on more responsibility, give them a chance to fail, and let them continue uh, to grow as they grow older. And, and, and through all of that, though, your banks, let your no be no. In fact, my grandchildren now, uh, they'll come to the house and they'll say, you know, can we do this? And I'll go, okay, we'll do it three times. 
And at the end of three times, they're like, oh, please, 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 let me do more, let me do more. And Priscilla's like, don't even waste your breath. He said three, he meant three, that you get three, and that's it. Um, they still haven't learned. They're still going, please, 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 please. But eventually, you know, my banks haven't shifted, I guess. Um, and in terms of sometimes, too, when, when working with children, they'll come to you and they'll say, oh, please, I need an answer now, 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 now. And, and I wasn't always ready to answer that question. And my response actually was to say, we'll see. And that worked pretty well until Priscilla was a little older and she goes, well, that means no. <laughs> and it was kind of like, no, not necessarily. <laughs> Just because it was no 50, 60, 70% of the time, but it didn't necessarily mean no. But don't, don't be forced into a situation where you're making a decision and again, that you're gonna have to go back and change. And, and we're, we, we all make wrong decisions. And if we do change, then we have to go back and explain to our children why and what happened there. Now, bring children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is the word paideia, you know, correcting or chastening. And, and 1 Corinthians uh, 11.32, use, Paul uses the same word for people who are uh, misbehaving and not taking communion correctly and, and they will be disciplined by the Lord. Second uh, Corinthians 6, 9, Paul uses it uh, when he gives the list of all the things he'd gone through, including being disciplined by the Lord. He uses it also in 2 Timothy 2, 25, that we must correct unbelievers in gentleness. So that's, that's the word that he's using there. Um, instruction, nuthasia, uh, instruction or admonition. And, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he uses it for a warning against uh, idolatry. And, and when, what in the, there he's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness when they get punished and how God dealt with them, that was for our instruction. Okay, so that, the word instruction there is, is what we're dealing with. And 2 Timothy 3.16, he actually uses both words. All, scriptures, uh, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, I, and to me, we could almost take that and apply it for what we have just read in terms of us as parents for, for this last uh, section of the scripture. And, and how can we make sure that they know Scripture? Well, we have to start off when, when they're young, reading Bible stories to them, you know, and reading to them every night. And then as they get older, move up to an older Bible. I know with, with Priscilla, I had the DK Bible, which had illustrations and other little things around it. And, and we would read through and read through that every night. And We'd go through it, and we'd start over and go through it again. I know the Kramers have a uh, children's Bible that has 365 stories in it that they walk through every night. So from there, you shift to reading the actual Bible with them and talking through it, and then get them onto a reading plan for themselves. That way, they know the Bible. You would be amazed at the number of Christians that I interview and talk to 
that have never read the Bible all the way through. And that is so important. If we are to live God's Word, we have to know God's Word, and we have to start our children early. And just as important as that is, as parents, we have to be a living example for our children. Living biblically is more important than speaking the right words. In fact, we can speak the right words, but if our, our living of the life out is different, that's what our children will see. Uh, parenting actions are very powerful if they're consistent. Schools, parents, friends, if those are aligned, then things tend to work much better. If one of them is not aligned, then the children see the inconsistency there and will often go uh, in different directions. Now, Jay made some statements last week, and I think that kind of, you know, we need to step back, take a look at those, and kind of wrap as we wrap this all up. And he asked the question, are you doing something for yourself or for someone else? So, children, are you obeying your parents or are you doing it for yourself? Parents, are we raising our children the way we should be or are we making decisions that are just better and easier for ourselves? And too often, it's what is convenient and easy for us and we want to avoid that. Another one he made was, when Jesus returns, relationships will be healed. Until then, we are to show each other to show our children Jesus through our actions. Are we doing that? We are all God's children, and we need to obey God as an example for our children to obey us. And children, obedience is showing your parents Jesus. Jesus obeyed his father, you obeying your parents is also showing your parents Jesus. Now, great parenting still needs God's blessing. We can do everything perfectly, but if God's blessing isn't with us, it's all for naught. Because, and, and now we step back, none of us do it all right. We all make mistakes in raising our children. We are all sinners. We all fall short. But we have to remember we're all God's children. And he loves us all. So children, are you obeying your parents? Parents, are we seeking to reflect God in our relationship with our children? That's what we need to keep in the forefront of our minds. Let us pray. O oh Lord, give us that zeal for holiness of life, which should characterize us as people of God. Give us growing stability and discernment, growing knowledge and wisdom, a growing love for you, and a growing hatred for sin. Give us such hunger and thirst after righteousness that we will not be satisfied with our present spiritual state. Give us hearts that seek wisdom from your word and from your world, that we may be able to teach our children to obey you in thought, 
word and deed. We pray all this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, your Son. Amen.